So if, if the sermon title seems a little awkward in your bulletin, that's my fault. I, uh, I was working on this one a couple weeks ago, and I had the title on a post-it note on my office, on my desk, but when I did the manuscript, I, I, I made a mistake. It should be to share the good news, be the good news. I know it's a small thing, but it means a lot to me. So it's kind of awkward. So to share the good news, be the good news. Amen to that. The angel got its wings. You didn't hear that bell? There was a little bell. <laughs> the angel got its wings. Um, starting next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. So we're going to be moving into our Advent series. Um, and, and if you want to look ahead... The first two Sundays, December 1st and December 8th, we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Ruth. I mean, how that ties in, how that ties into the birth of Jesus. It's such a beautiful thing. So I encourage you to look ahead for that. Um, so speaking of Christmas and stuff, you go shopping, right? Have you ever been, have you ever been to a, a mall, a busy shopping place, right? Have you ever been to some place where there's a lot of people, huge crush of people? Um, whether it's a mall or some, some other kind of activity and there's people everywhere. And have you ever seen, have you ever seen those people with, with their little toddler on a leash? Have you ever seen a toddler on a leash? Yeah, I, I, I make no judgment. I make, make no criticism because I know, I know how terrifying it can be for a parent to lose a child. And if you've got a darter, you know, if you've got a runner in your family, uh, sometimes you need to hold them tight, right? So, so sometimes parents do that. They put their kid on a leash. We know what it's like to lose something, to lose somebody. And I think in the back of every parent's mind, when you're with that little toddler and there's a big crowd, I mean, there's that fear in the back of your mind that you might lose them, that they might get lost. And sometimes there's a fear in the kid's mind that they're going to lose contact with their parent. One time when I was just a little guy, I was, ah, oh, I couldn't have been more than four years old. My mom took me to the grocery store. We were grocery shopping, and, and I kind of wandered off, and she was doing something, and, and I kind of, oh, no, where's my mom? And, 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 and the, first, the per, first, first pair of legs with stockings on with a, with a long, slim pencil black dress that I could see, I went and grabbed hold of her up on her hips, mommy, mommy. But it wasn't my mom. But my mom heard me. So I think, I think, I think right, little, little kids have fears of being separated and parents have fears of losing their kids. It can be a scary thing. So in a moment, we're going to read about, about that kind of lostness that happens in, in, in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to read about that. But before we do, we're going to set the scene. I want to set the scene first. Um, it's, it happens in Jesus when he's 12 years old. And, and in Jesus' time... It was customary. Good, regular religious practices are always a good thing, then as well as now, right? And so back then, it was a good thing that Jewish people for the Passover would make the journey kind of like a pilgrimage if you lived farther away. They would make the journey to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover. In Jesus' case, in his family's case, it was a 65-mile trip. And it took about four days. And so what they would do, they would travel in caravans. So family, extended family, close friends, acquaintances for security and safety and, and to make the time go by, people would, pack, would 
would travel in large groups like that. Always a good thing. That's what Jesus' family did. They traveled in a group. Now, when you're traveling with a group in that situation, when you were traveling in a group, if you had an older kid, remember Jesus in the story we're going to read is 12 years old. If you've got a kid who's a little older, you're not going to hover over them. While, while I'm certain they didn't have helicopters back then, I know for sure they didn't have helicopter parents back then. They didn't know what a helicopter was. But I think when you had an older kid, you didn't hover. So if you're traveling in your caravan and you've left and you're making the way back home, your, 12, your older kid is going to interact with all kinds of people. They're going to do what kids do. They're going to they're gonna run around and they're going to talk to all kinds of people and they're going to get sidetracked and they're going to do this and they're going to do that and you're going to lose touch with them for several hours. But what always happened, what always happened is as they're traveling, the older kids are doing their thing. When it comes time to set camp for that night, each kid goes back to where his family is or her family is. Each kid did that. You would regroup when you're setting camp for the night. So that's, that's, that's our context. That's our context for our story. So if you'll follow along, every scripture will be up on the screen. But we're looking at, if you've got a Bible and you want to open it, we're looking at Luke 2, 41 through 50. Now, his, meaning Jesus, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him along with their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. them. There is a lot we could explore in this passage. We could probably do several weeks on this passage alone. One of the things this passage does, it speaks to Jesus' parents' slow understanding of who he was. It's just 12 years earlier, but so many times in our lives, right, we soon lose, with the passage of time, we lose our grip of understanding things and the import of things. And that's what's happening here with Jesus and his parents. So we could look at that. We forget things or we become lazy in our own thinking. We could also talk about how Jesus understands himself at this young point in his life. Or we could also look at this passage from the perspective of those in the temple when Jesus stayed behind and the reading and the teaching and the listening 
and the asking of questions and the back and forth. We could look at that. There are lots, lots of possibilities. But today we're going to spend our time on one thing. We're going to spend our time on one thing, a point that is especially impactful this time of year. In this story, here are four specific ways Jesus related to the teachers in the temple. And these set the stage for our focus today. These are the four ways that Jesus is interacting with the teachers at the temple. Jesus sought out teachers and sat in their midst. He sought them out to be with them. Ah, Jesus listened. Jesus listened. Third, Jesus asked questions. And fourth, Jesus gave answers. All of those, what those add up to is the fact that Jesus was in a caring and engaged relationship when he was in the temple with these, with these leaders. Jesus was caring and engaged. He had a caring and engaged presence with other people. So that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time. How is God calling us, especially during this holiday season? We've got like four or five weeks now for caring and engaged relationships, to have a caring and engaged presence with people in our lives. Here we are, Thanksgiving is in a few days. We're on the cusp of Christmas. And so we're at that time when we're thanking God for our blessings and we're thanking God for our Savior who is the greatest blessing of all. And, and, these, are, and these are special moments in our lives. These next four to five weeks, we have all kinds of interactions and all kinds of experiences, and they're special moments of our lives. And so it's also, it's a great time to be present with those whom we know, but also it's a great time to be present with those that we don't know. People we meet for the first time. How many of you are going to do Black Friday next week? How many of you are going to do Black Friday? Brave souls, raise your hands if you're doing How about Black Saturday? How many of you are going to be doing Black? Mrs. Mortimer, your hand goes up. We're doing Black Saturday. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be, there we go. We're going to be with lots of, you're going to be with people you don't know. And you're going to be with people who after about three or four hours of Black Friday or Black Saturday are going to be really stressed out. And that is prime time for you to be an abiding presence of kindness in other people's lives. These are times when people of all stripes are most open to hearing about God and seeing Jesus Christ reflected in our lives. And people will have, people will have questions and people will make comments. And regardless the tone and tenor of the comments people make or the comments people ask, of a religious nature this time of year. See, we will have an opportunity to be a reflection of the goodness and grace of God into those lives. And so, and so we are going to be, we're going to be especially mindful in the next four or five weeks. And see, the thing is, you can have a godly presence in somebody's life and you can have an impact for Christ and they don't even know that you're a Christ follower. But my goodness, God works in situations and God works in people's lives. And so he will work in those. 
And so you're going to have, we're going to have opportunities to be a reflection of the goodness and the kindness and the gentleness and the love and the peace and the patience and the faith and the self-control in all kinds of people's lives. Is there an amen to that? Absolutely amen. So here's how Jesus put it in verse 49. And the, the, the parenthetical there is, a, is another translation. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house or about his business? That's what Jesus is saying. So what Jesus is calling us to, what we hear this passage calling us to, is, is to be about God's business in our lives. And see, our focus is going to be on the next four or five weeks. But see, this is something, man, we, we set the foundation the next four or five weeks so that, that, that this carries us through the new year and for 12 months out of the year we're like this, being about the Father's business, sharing the good news of Christ, being the good news of Christ, reflecting our lives being a reflection of the joy and the hope that is in us. So here's, here's how we can do that. It's real simple. We do that by being present with people. We do that by giving people our attention. By doing what Jesus did in the temple. About our Father's business, we're listening to people. We're asking questions. We're answering questions. We're, we're sharing life. We're seeking as a, as, a, as a great habit of life, seek to be under, seek to understand before being understood. See, we're seeking to understand before we're seeking to be understood. In other words, we serve the cause of Christ by being present with people. Are you with me on that? Is there another amen to that? Absolutely. Just being there, right? It's just being there. You don't have to be the most brilliant. You don't have to be the most insightful. You don't have to have the wise comments or the witty comments. But you're just, you're just there. And the there that, that is with you is a there of kindness and gentleness and joy and peace and patience and faithfulness and self-control. You just, you just want to be there. And so here we're going to look at now why it's important to be present in kind and gracious ways in other people's lives. Why is that important? To be present in kind and gracious ways. Well, primarily, it's important because presence amplifies experience. In other words, when you are interacting with someone, when you are focused on the moment, it's going to enhance positive feelings. That's why we talk here at Covenant Church about what? About, about being warm and welcoming when people come on our campus, especially if they're here for the first time or the second or the third, if they're not well known to you, right? We want to be warm and welcoming and inviting. Why? So it will enhance their overall experience here at Covenant Church. 
Your focused presence with someone who cares about you and whom you care about makes that experience delightful. And we want people in every area of our lives to have delightful experiences. As someone told me last week, she said, she said, I really need to focus more. She spends too much time on social media, I tell her. But people rarely listen to my advice. She spends too much time on social media, but she has told me, she said last week, she said, I am going to be more winsome when I post things on social media. And that's the way you want to be. Make experiences delightful. So here's, here's what that means in, in real time. Have you ever been to one of those restaurants and the place is just littered with televisions? You ever been to one of those places? Oh, my goodness. They've even, they've even taken over the big boy in Tecumseh. TV's everywhere. You can't go. And, and, and have you ever been to one of those places where there's TV's everywhere and you're, and you're having a meal, you're having an interaction with something, but their eyes are always focused on what's going on on the screen? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been there? That's not a delightful experience, is it? Let's all say together, not a delightful experience. Let's say that. How'd you know? It is not. Have you ever been in a social setting with other people all around and the person you're talking to in the social setting, (laughs) their eyes are darting all around the room as if they're looking for someone more interesting to talk to than you. Have you ever been there? Not. Let's do that again. Not a delightful experience. Not a delightful experience. Have you ever been telling someone how your day went? And instead of moving the conversation along by reflecting what you've just said and indicating that, They appreciate what you said and they're listening to what you said. You've told them how your day went and they immediately say, oh, now let me tell you about my day. What is that? No, it is not. Have you ever had the person you're with check their mobile device? Every time it vibrates, they just have to see who it is. They're talking to you, right? But as soon as that sucker vibrates, what are they doing? They're going to it. They're checking it. Is that a delightful experience? Thank you so much. Have you ever been preaching a sermon? And you think you're on a roll and you notice people are drifting off. Oh, it is not. See, in in most cases, most of the time, it is a good and a godly thing to be present with people. To be present with people. You see, when we're present with people, it grows us. And it grows relationships. And it positively contributes to feelings and experiences. It's always a good thing to be present. So knowing that, knowing how important and how good that is, 
Here's what some researchers did. They wanted to test this out. They wanted to test to see if being, being positively present in people's lives enhanced the experience, made it a delightful experience. So here's what researchers did. They went in under the guise of they were asking people to do a taste test on chocolate. What they did, though, they took pieces of the exact same kind same chocolate, the exact same chocolate they had pieces of. They took one group and they had the researcher and they said, now we want you to rate this chocolate on a scale of one to 10. Unbeknownst to the people, it really wasn't about chocolate because it was the same chocolate. But they said, we want you to rate this chocolate on a scale of one to 10. And so in the first group, the researcher was engaged with the person. They made eye contact, they sat directly apart from them, in front of them. They asked questions. They reflected back. They, they were interested in what the subject was saying. Every one of those subjects rated the chocolate really high. Why? Because the researcher's presence enhanced the experience. The other group, same chocolate. This time, the researchers stood aloof from the test subjects. They held a clipboard. Oftentimes they were looking off at different directions. They weren't making eye contact. They were slow to answer questions. It was bad interaction. They would look out windows. They had people purposely walk back and forth and they would look out windows and make eye contact with people. How do you think that group rated the chocolate? Exact same kind of chocolate dramatically, noticeably lower ratings for that kind of chocolate. Why? Because presence enhances experience. So here's something you might want to write down. Presence with someone who cares about you makes that experience more delightful. love hearing that little dude cry. That enhances my experience, man. That is a, that is a beautiful presence. Seriously. And, and, and we had a couple at our 830 service. I can't say who. They don't want it, want it out yet, but I'm the pastor, so they shared it with me. Um, um, they're expecting their first child. Um, she's going to be due May 1st. She's due May 1st. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Just a beautiful thing. But presence with someone who cares about you makes that experience more delightful. See, I think, I think this is an imperative of Christian discipline. What, what, a, what a great and godly way, right, to impact our little corner of God's world. Wherever we go, you've heard the cliche, right? There are some people who... who make people happy wherever they go. And then there are other people who make people happy whenever they go. All right, we know what that's like, right? We want to be the first group. We want things enhanced. So, so here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus on something right now that's 2019. I'm all about 2019. And it's going to make me sound like an old curmudgeon. And see, I said at the 8.30 service, that's how I wrote it down in my manuscript. But whenever you say something like, this is going to make me sound like an old curmudgeon, I just be honest, I'm an old curmudgeon. Okay? This is going to make me, I am an old curmudgeon. But what do you, what do you, what do you think is, is the greatest impediment today 
to presence in people's lives. What is it? Mobile devices. Absolutely. It is cell phones. Mobile devices make it really difficult to be present in other people's lives. Check out this cartoon. I'll wait for you to figure it out. <laughs> so here's the deal. Do it at Thanksgiving. Have a no cell phone policy at the dinner table. How good? No. <laughs> Have a no cell phone policy at the dinner table. You know what some people do? Some people, when they go in large groups, they go out to dinner. Oh, we meet our friends once a month for dinner. What they'll do is they'll put their, their cell phones in the middle of the table. And the first one that grabs for their cell phone has to buy the food for everybody. How cool is that? Have a no cell phone policy at the dinner table. When you're in a movie theater, when you're at the theater, when you're in church, put your phone on airplane mode. Like about three minutes before I got to that illustration, somebody's cell phone went off right over there. <laughs> and it wasn't a plant. It was pretty cool. But put it on, put it on quiet, on, on, on airplane. One of, the, one of the guys that goes to our 830 service, he said several years ago, they were moving cattle around. Moving cattle, busy day. And this one young employee kept getting phone calls and answering the phone. Kept getting phone calls and answering the phone. And so, and so the last time they were doing, I mean, they're just busy, busy, busy with cows. Man, you're working with thousands of pounds of animals, right? You don't want to. So anyway, the guy takes his phone call. And this time, the boss grabs the cell phone and says, who is this? And the guy on the other side says, who's this? And the boss said, this is the guy whose name is at the bottom of his paycheck. And the other guy said, oh, goodbye. Last call he got. When you're at a restaurant, take your phone off that cheesy ringtone. I'm not saying everybody has a cheesy ringtone, but we know the people who do. And I'm not making this up. I was at McDonald's one day. It doesn't matter whether it's a five-star restaurant or your local McDonald's. Just dine in peace and quiet. So when I'm at McDonald's and I, and I hear this, this, this cheesy ringtone go off, it kind of sounded like Chuck Mangione playing the theme from Wheel of Fortune. You know how that goes? It was that kind of ringtone. And next thing I know is, 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 is oh, hello, yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, Marge, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bill's having a quarter pounder with cheese. She's talking that loud. She's not here, don't worry. Yeah, yeah, Bill had a quarter pounder with cheese, uh-huh. I'm having a salad, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's not too busy here. Yeah, I think afterwards we'll go to the Walgreens, got to pick some things up. And I'm like, oh, you're killing me, man. We just want to eat. Nobody cares. How many of us, now listen to this one. How many of us, when our cell phones or our mobile devices start buzzing, how many of us immediately check it? Feel for it in our pocket, whether it's in our shirt pocket or our pants pocket. When we, when we hear that buzz or feel that vibration, how many of us immediately our attention turns to that thing. You know what you call that? You know what you call that, right? That's a Pavlovian response. 
You've heard of Pavlov's dog, right? Right? Our, our, our technology has turned us into lower animals. When, when we go at home and we, and we unscrew the lid to our dog's biscuit jar, as soon as she hears the first turn of that lid, she runs to her crate. And there's no difference between her and me checking my, looking for my phone when I feel it vibrate. We let, we let our devices control our lives. That's what technology does to us. In fact, it's so common now. There's a new word that, that's out that happens when we, when we put people over, we put devices over people. We do. It's called fubbing. You know what that, you heard it? It's phone snubbing. Ah. Fubbing is phone snubbing. Oh, 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 oh mid-sentence. Oh, just, just a minute. I need to get, just a minute. Just let me check who this is. Oh, just a minute. Oh, just a minute. And it's, it's phone snubbing. So practice, see? I got all the curmudgeoning out of me. So practice the art of being present. Listen to others. Ask questions. Strive for increased wisdom and understanding of Scripture. Because, see, that's where we find the Christian values of joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faith and self-control and goodness. We find those things in God's Word. Let, let, let those things guide you and let those things color your interaction with other people. Treat people as being, as being valuable. Contribute. Make people happy wherever you go. Contribute to the happiness around you. Because as Jesus says, didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? And I think that's something good for us to learn from. Engage people in a warm and positive way. It's a great way to communicate to people that you matter to me. I'm going to take my time because you are important to me. Why are you important to me? Because God's word tells me that you are. And I want, I want the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and all that good stuff that Jesus calls me to embrace. I want that out there in my world. And, and, and whenever I go, I want people to feel that. You've left something behind. So, Here's a letter. A boy sent this letter to his dad in heaven. And he got, this is a Great Britain, this is British mail. It says, it says, can you take this to heaven for my dad's birthday, thanks. Little boy sent that. And here's the response he got. Dear Jace, while we've been delivering your post, we became aware of some concerns. So I just wanted to take this opportunity to contact you about how we succeeded in the delivery of your letter to your dad in heaven. This was a difficult challenge, avoiding stars and other galactic objects en route to heaven. However, please be assured that this particular important item of mail has been delivered. Royal Mail's priority is to get our customers' mail delivered safely. I know how important your mail is to you. I will continue to do all I can 
to ensure delivery to heaven safely. Yours sincerely, Sean Milligan. See, it, it, cost, it cost him relatively nothing, but his time to be a kind and loving presence in another person's life. And what we say when we do those things, we say this, you matter to me. You matter to me. And thanksgiving for what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Let's be about the Father's business and letting people know that they matter to us because they matter to God. Let's sing. Visit us on the web at tecumsehcove.org. That's T-E-C-U-M-S-E-H-C-O-V-E dot O-R-G.